1: Hi, it's Michael Smirconish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirconish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session.
0: Richard Reeves is a senior fellow of economic studies at Brookings Institution, author of a very provocative book that I've just read. It's called Of Boys and Men. Why the modern male is struggling? Why it matters, and what to do about it. This is Richard Reeves. Hi, Richard. Thanks for being here. I enjoyed your book.
2: Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me on.
0: You reminded me of an innocuous, or so I thought, incident of my youth. Uh, hmm. I was in eighth grade and used to ride the bus, and I was bused a, a fair distance. The school it was a public school, but it was seven miles away. And a friend would get on. He was a ninth grader. He would get on at a bus stop ahead of mine. And we would commiserate often about girls on the bus and girls generally. One day, I remember, and you brought this out, reading your book made me think of this. One day, he got on the bus and he handed me a note. And it was a ranking Of all the girls that we would usually discuss, not in extremely sexual terms, but there was some of that for sure, mostly just in terms of their physical attractiveness or so we thought. And I remember in identifying one of the girls who was a classmate of ours, he used the word tantalizing, which stands out because I didn't know what the word meant. And I had to go look it up, probably old school in Merriam-Webster at the time. Anyway, I bring this up because somewhere in your book, you talk about Bethesda Chevy Chase High School. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, if I were in eighth grade in 2022 and had possession of that note from back in the day, I'd probably be suspended.
2: Yeah. Well, also, the fact that your friend knew the word tantalizing in nice. Impressive. Suggests that boys can be good at English despite the current grades that they're getting. And so, yeah, and look, I'm, I think most of us have been through similar experiences when we're in adolescence or in those years where the, the, the hormones are raging. Um, and as you say, there was an incident at Bethesda Chevy Chase High School where actually my kids went to high school where there was a list similarly shared, I think, on, on, uh, on some kind of platform. And a girl saw it and all hell broke loose. What was interesting about it was the way it was framed as an example of toxic masculinity, right. uh, at which I guess, you know, in retrospect, that's what you, know, you and I are supposed to feel that we were engaged in when we were when we were making similar lists, or arguably when girls make lists of boys, perhaps it's the the equivalent. And and I think the problem with this is that you're taking boys and treating them by the standards of grown men and i think rather than talking about toxic masculinity and i say this in the book it's much better to think about mature masculinity like we grow up right my my guess michael is that you're not making those lists on the way into work now are you
0: no i'm i'm too pressed for time otherwise i'm right. kidding no, I wouldn't admit it on air
2: anyway but institution right you grow up you grow out of it right you you're young you and so i think that the. are it 's not to say that you don 't have to learn what 's appropriate behavior and what isn 't but what what struck me about it, it became an international news story. What struck me was how this label of toxic masculinity was being used entirely uncritically in that circumstance to just and trouble it, it, the trouble is it just defines any behavior that other people might find uncomfortable and once once toxic masculinity is being used to describe some teenage boys ranking you know, girls on their attractiveness, then, then the term has become useless in my view. And so that's one of the spurs to just look taking a step back and saying, OK, well, how are boys and men doing more generally? And and what is the story we're telling about what it means to be mature and masculine in, a, in contemporary society? And I don't think we're doing a very good job of that.
0: Well, and they're not they're not doing well. The stats are alarming. Men account for three of four deaths of despair. Men have fewer friends than women. Talk about some of the psychological things that you see and wanted to pull together in Of Boys and Men.
2: Yeah, so there's all of these trends that we perhaps know about at some level in education, in employment. So the fact that most American men today earn less than most American men did in 1979, so that's nearly 40 years ago, is a very important economic fact. We see we're heading towards two to one, uh, women to men on college campuses, etc. And then a, a real change in family life. And so it's a one in five fathers not really in a relationship with their children. But the result of a lot of these trends, I think is to see these deaths of despair, suicide, men account for 70% of opioid deaths, a little bit more, actually. Uh, And I I see all of those as symptoms of this, this deeper set of challenges that a lot of young men and boys are facing in an economy that's become increasingly difficult for them to navigate, an education system that in many cases doesn't suit them. And a society that's changed uh, really beyond recognition in in the space of just a few decades in a way that now means that the traditional definition of masculinity is in the rearview mirror in many ways. And and for good reason, I think it's very important to say that's for lots of very good reasons, because it's because it's about the independence and rise of girls and women and very few people that I speak to want to, to go back turn back the clock to the days when women couldn't go to college or get a job or be an engineer. No one wants to go back. We have to go forward, but we have to go forward in a way that includes the boys and men as well.
0: You say that there's been a structural breakdown. In other words, you discount the idea of some mass psychological uh, diminishment on the part of, of men and boys.
2: Yeah, and that's an important emphasis. I'm glad you brought that up, Michael, because so much of the debate is about what's wrong with them. So the problem with boys and men is very often described in effect as a problem with them, right? So it's a problem with them themselves. And so the the diagnosis differs. Sometimes it's that they're too masculine, back to where we were a moment ago. They're they're too toxic. They, they, They need to sort of shed all this redundant masculinity and on the other hand they're simply saying they're not masculine enough they need to man up they need to you need to be more like their dads or more like their sisters depending on who you listen to but but in both cases the problem is located on their shoulders It's, it's up to them And I think that's a mistake because when I look at how the education system's working, how the workplace has changed, how family life has changed, the structures around boys and men have changed very significantly and in many ways are not helping them in the way they should. And so we shouldn't just blame the victim here. I think we've learned as a society to get better than that and not always just to say if someone's struggling that it must be their fault and they just need to show more grit and pull themselves up by the bootstraps, etc. Of course they need to show individual responsibility. And I absolutely emphasize that they need to take responsibility for themselves. But it's naive to claim that we're doing that in a vacuum. There are lots of systems out there, and many of those systems are not working very well right now for boys and men.
0: From your book, I know that boys are 50% more likely to fail math, reading, and science. Just yesterday, front page New York Times, although I could take my pick of newspapers Headline testing reveals alarming drop in math skills. U.S. students in most states and across almost all demographic groups have experienced troubling setbacks in both math and reading, according to an authoritative national exam released on Monday, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Knowing that you were coming on the program today, I, I said to my producer, could you see if they because in the story they made no reference to gender? but i asked my mm-hmm. producer if she could please go look at the uh, the cross tabs of some of this information and lo and behold you wouldn't be surprised to know this but for women for, pardon me for for boys it's even worse than it is for girls why? And, and this also comports, Richard, with what I recall seeing as I was watching graduation ceremonies for each of our children. It seemed like the girls were winning virtually all of the academic prizes. What's going on out there where there seems to be such achievement by young women, perhaps at the expense of young boys in an academic setting?
2: Yeah, so I, I don't think it's at the expense of, by and large. I think it's largely not a zero sum game. What we've seen, though, is that girls and young women have just not just caught up with boys and men in the classroom, but blown right past them. So in colleges, for example, like there's a bigger gender gap in getting a four year college degree now, about 15 percentage points in favor of women than there was in 1972 in favor of men, which was about 13 percentage points in favor of men. And so what you've seen is there used to be like, especially in, in college, you'd see this gap in favor of men. It's, com- it's not it's completely flipped. So the script has And that's true in high school. So in high school, you take uh, the GPA, the ones with the top 10% GPA, uh, two thirds of them are girls. The ones at the bottom, two thirds of them are boys. And you're right that if you see them going across the stage, uh, about three quarters of valedictorians are are girls. In Ivy League colleges, just last year, every editor of newspaper was a woman. Every law school um, had a law journal that was edited by a woman. So it's just this extraordinary change. The question is why? And I actually think that the education system just favors girls and young women on average in a way that we couldn't see before because girls and young women were not encouraged to go on to college and do better. But if you think about what the education system rewards, it rewards the ability to sit still, pay attention, look ahead, turn your homework in, et cetera. And those skills are just more developed in girls than in boys. And crucially, they develop earlier in girls and in boys. So a 16-year-old girl is about a year ahead just in terms of brain development. Because of, of brain development. I was girls. just
0: going to say, because of brain development. Yeah. Yeah,
2: it's so, neuroscience. And so the, the prefrontal cortex is a bit of your brain that, that, that neuroscientists sometimes call the CEO of the brain, right, the boss. But I call it the bit of your brain that has you turn in your chemistry homework. Remember that you had chemistry homework and then turn it in. And essentially, you know, anyone that's raised, raised boys knows that basically you're just a substitute prefrontal cortex for what feels like a decade because the education system presumes those skills, which are just much less developed in boys than in girls. And then that is now rippling through the whole education system. So the system and then, of course, there's the problem of fewer and fewer male teachers. And less and less emphasis on learning with your hands, learning vocationally, more book learning, and everything else equal. That just that's just a bit more female friendly than male friendly. And that sounds like a shocking thing to say, but I just I can't look at the evidence and think anything other than the fact the education system's not male friendly enough.
0: This is Richard Reeves. His book is called Of Boys and Men. In all my social media you can find the appropriate links if you wish to acquire a copy, which I recommend.
1: This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM.
0: Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit BuyAToyota.com.
1: Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS. SiriusXM XM channel 124 and on the SXM app.
0: This is Richard Reeves. His book is called Of Boys and Men. You have already made reference and in the book talk about how colleges today have more women than men. Just think about that for a moment. Colleges today have more women than men. It occurs to me this is going to impact marriage and mating. And whereas in the past, from an education standpoint, women used to marry upward, maybe it was the secretary marrying the boss, that's now going to be a reverse trend, true?
2: Well, we don't know yet, is the best answer. We're only just getting to this point where this huge change in education is rippling into the marriage market. So it's actually just very recently we crossed the threshold where in most American marriages now... The wife is more educated than the husband, but it's only it's taken till now to do that because, of course, it's there's a huge lag effect here. It's not true among people in their 50s and 60s, for example, but it's absolutely true of those in their 30s. So we haven't really seen the effect of this yet on the marriage market, but you're right that if. If you see education as a proxy for status, economic potential, and so on, then the, the question is going to be asked, will a college-educated woman be willing to marry a non-college-educated man? We haven't really faced that question up until this point, because, as you say, in the past, it was the other way around. And right now, we're at close to parity, but the next co- the cohort coming through, hugely different. And I just don't know. I'm not ready yet. Some people are panicking about this already. I'm not ready to panic yet, because... College-educated women really do seem to marry in very high rates. And it might well be that they are willing to marry a guy who doesn't have a college degree. But one thing is clear, he still needs to have good prospects. So I can imagine a nurse marrying a plumber, for example, and her being okay with that. You need a degree to be a nurse and not a degree to be a plumber. But the plumber is making good money. So I do think that the overall question of status is going to be important. And the question then is, can men continue to... To make a good living, even without levels of education, and there are plenty of plumbers, but we don't, but not all men can be plumbers, and so I am worried about these educational trends more generally. Will it affect marriage? Well, we have to wait and see. But I think the the warning is to young men, which is don't presume that that there's a marriage market waiting for you, even if you're not very well educated.
0: Nicholas Eberstadt from the American Enterprise Institute was a recent guest of mine talking about his book, Men Without Work, NILFs, the uh, not in uh, uh, the labor force was an acronym I'd never heard before. Uh, From you, I learned that one in three men with only a high school degree is out of the labor force. You attribute this to automation Mm -hmm. and free trade. So it's not just Richard Reeves, a conversation about psychological impact. There's a real labor component, lack of employment that is tethered to the arguments you're making.
2: Yes, and it comes back to the the conversation we had a moment ago about structural changes. And I think Nick's work on this is excellent. And I'm glad you, glad you talked to him because there has been just this shock to the labor market from automation and then from free trade. And that's disproportionately affected traditionally male jobs. So there's no question about it that millions of jobs have been lost as a result of those changes, and most of those were jobs that were done by men. So to the extent the labor market has had these negative shocks that disproportionately affected men, so then what do the men do? And it's difficult to adapt, it's difficult to get into the new economy and into the jobs that 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 are rising, especially if they are more female dominated in areas like healthcare and education. But uh, so we don't see enough men either being willing or able to move into those jobs. At the same time, if they've lost a traditional breadwinner role, maybe the incentives to do that. I think Nick's work speaks to that, too. The incentives to find work might be a little bit less. And so what happens is that less educated men with this. Shock on one side from the economy and potentially a shock on the other side from having lost that traditional breadwinner role, find themselves in a, something of a downward spiral. The labor market doesn't seem to need them, the women might not seem to need them. So, who does need them? And so, what happens is economic redundancy becomes cultural redundancy, and then I think you see the result in things like deaths of despair and suicide. I I looked at a study by Fiona Shand and others published in the British Medical Journal which looked at what were the words that men used to describe themselves before attempting or committing suicide, and the top two were useless and worthless. Wow. Um,
0: If you're right that the modern male is struggling, and I find your arguments compelling, why is no one championing this issue, this cause—is it because it would be perceived as politically incorrect if all of a sudden I were running for Congress or the Senate, and I said I want to talk about the American male because we really have a problem here?
2: Well, I will say that I think there are some people who have been have been arguing about this. I think it would be I would want to mention Warren Farrell and John Gray's book, *The, the Boy Crisis*, and there, there have been and Hannah Rosen's book, *The End of Men. I think at the more elite but level what about, but what, yeah. what about politicians
0: but what about politicians i mean by the way i want to throw scott yeah. galloway into that mix as yeah. well because he has yeah. said the nyu yeah. professor has said some of the same things that you're saying to me
2: yeah i'm actually talking to scott on his podcast this afternoon and uh and we are at we're in communication he's been to, he has been banging this drum for a while now so i think at that level there are people uh who are drawing attention to it but but you're right that in, in politics, for different reasons, actually, on left and right, but especially on the center left, there is a sense, and I have talked to a lot of politicians and policymakers about this, there's, just a, there's a fear that merely coming out with policies or proposals or just to say there's a problem here will be to betray your commitment to the cause of women and girls. Our politics right now is framed as a zero-sum game. You're either on this side or that side. You're with us or you're against us. And so even even politicians I've spoken to who get it, who buy the argument, they're very tentative about going out there and saying something positive about boys and men because they fear they'll be attacked by women's groups for somehow seeming to signal that they care less about uh, women and girls. So it's such a great example of the zero-sum nature of our politics.
0: Understood. OK, a final question. I'm, I'm not giving it all away for free, but there is a prescription that you offer. Part of it, I'll use one, is red shirting. So what would mm-hmm. that mean?
2: It would mean that by default, we start boys in school a year later than girls. And the reason to do that is to level the playing field because boys develop later, as we discussed earlier, their brain is simply brain science, that so their brains develop a little bit later. And especially by adolescence, you see this gap having emerged and that puts them at something of a disadvantage in the education system. They're just less mature in that neurological sense, especially in adolescence. And so by having boys be a year older, what you'd have is effectively 15 year old boys with 14 year old girls and developmentally, they're more similar than they would be if they were the same age. And so by giving boys that extra year to develop, what it would do is level the playing field in the education system. We also need more male teachers and more vocational training. But, but if you take seriously the neuroscience of this and you're looking for what's happening in the education system, then thinking about when we start them in school is a good place to start. And red-shirting is this idea of just holding them back for a year to get to, to, as I say, not to give them an advantage over girls, but just to level the playing field.
0: Richard, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I I learned a lot from your book, and I'm appreciative of your willingness to come by and discuss it.
2: Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me on.
0: Richard Reeves, ladies and gentlemen, of boys and men, why the modern male is struggling, why it matters, and what to do about it. Curious to hear from men and women as to whether you see in life, in your own orbit, signs of exactly what he was discussing and describing and makes the case armed with lots of data uh, and also what of that one prescriptive idea the boys ought to start one year later than the girls because they're just lacking in maturity by the way on the subject of maturity and perhaps it's immature of me to single this out from the man's book but he tells two stories in the book just about men being lustier than women and he refers to... Uh, it's funny, every time I think of Billy Crystal and When Harry Met Sally, I think about going and meeting with Billy Crystal and, and, and telling him he gave away all men's secrets uh, in, uh, in that movie. But Billy Crystal in the movie says, women need a place to have sex... Ah, damn it, I stepped on the line. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> women need a reason to oh. have sex. Men just need a place. And this... Regarding the Jeffrey Tubin incident, he said that in his book, he, he notes that the reaction among women, TC, tell me if you think this is accurate, mm. the reaction among women to hearing of the Tubin uh, online incident, incident, what was he thinking in the middle of a meeting? And the reaction of men is, what was he thinking with his camera turned on? Oh my God. True or false? I can neither confirm nor deny any of this. Let's talk about men. Let's talk about boys.
1: This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from SiriusXM. XM.
0: Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit BuyAToyota.com.
1: Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app.
0: Okay so Richard Reeves was just here talking about his book of boys and men. Hey, you want to know something you know how he said that he's doing uh, Scott Galloway's podcast later today? Yeah, I love that I had I had dinner with Paul Reichoff he organized the dinner and Jeff Bucus and Scott Galloway a couple of nights ago. I told you this I and saw an I, Instagram. I said to Galloway, hey, I'm reading Richard Reeves book. Oh, I'm taking credit for that booking on his podcast. You should. Because I'm Definitely. sure I put the bug in his in his ear, Perfect. right? Uh, Nicole's got an interesting perspective. Nicole, you are a full time student. Tell me how this impacts, or pardon me, is impacted by what you're seeing on campus.
3: Hi, Michael. Thank you for Hi. taking my call. I listen to your show all the time, and I really Thanks. like that you bring up topics like these that people aren't aren't discussing. Um, so, I am on campus almost every day, and. Uh, in my classes, there are a lot less men than women, and I talk to a lot of the students on campus because I'm a student recruiter for study abroad programs, and so in talking to the women, young women who are on campus, um, they often talk about their concern about seeing less men on campus um, and that what that means for their prospects. Um, but I also see something interesting with the men who are in the classes. They act um, sort of awkward in class discussions, and they lean into like, this, this weird arrogance where they're trying to sound smarter than they are rather than just like, being there to learn like everyone else. Like they, it makes them feel intimidated in some way. It's interesting.
0: Maybe they need to be held back so they've got that additional year of maturity. What did you make of the red-shirting suggestion?
3: I thought that was a great idea. I'm a psych major, so I'm familiar with some of that science. Hmm. And I'm a big supporter of meeting people where they are and not just doing whatever we've always done, um, because we've always done it that way. I would love to see things changed up in, in lots of different areas to meet the needs of people today.
0: I mean, it will definitely impact dating, mating and marriage right? I mean, it's all its yeah, all a function I mean, of, of accessibility. A lot of relationships are born on a college campus.
3: Yeah, for sure. That's one of the issues that, that women have brought up to me, that they'll go to events and there's like no guys there. So even the few guys that are on campus, they're not um, feeling very confident in being social on campus because they're so outnumbered. Um, and just like from my perspective as an educated woman, I, I certainly would date somebody who um, didn't have a college degree. My, my boyfriend does have a college degree, um, but he would have to, like your guest say, he would have to be doing something else with his life. Um, there's like a trade or something. I think,
0: uh, Nicole, I, I also think this is pure speculation and theory because I'm, I'm almost an old man at this point. But I also think that those guys in class are socially awkward because their understanding of women, for better or worse, is born of the Internet. Their understanding of yes. sex and relationships is born of the internet. They just don't get it.
3: Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm I'm an older millennial. I agree with that in general with uh, with Generation Z. I'm I'm definitely an, a, a non traditional student on campus. Um, so it's been interesting for me to get on with my with the generation that's coming up behind me and see the differences in the social patterns.
0: Nicole, thanks for that call and the input. I really appreciate it. I'm going to take more phone calls on this. I see all the blinking lines. I'll try and move it along and include as many folks as I can. We're having a conversation about boys and men.
1: This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from SiriusXM.
0: Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit BuyAToyota.com.
1: Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app.
0: Renell, you are in West Bloomfield, Michigan. On the subject of boys and men, you wanted to say what?
4: Hi, Michael. First time caller, long time Thank listener. You. And Thanks. I w- wanted to call because I have a teenage son and I have seen all of this exactly play out in real life. He is just, the girls are dominating everything at his school. And because of this, I did redshirt my younger son. Oh, you did? Yes, so he's like a borderline birthday, so we held him back on purpose because of our experience with my older son to give him that advantage.
0: Interesting, and maybe if you didn't have the, the first son, you wouldn't have learned from that experience.
4: Oh, absolutely, and it's been great. He's in second grade now, and he's dominating in everything academically,
0: isn't isn't that interesting? Uh, great, great real life example, R- Renell. I guess I'm I'm a dope. I guess at a certain age they have to be registered, right? In other words, you okay. were able because it was borderline to hold back slightly.
4: Yeah. So my so my other son, I wouldn't have been able to do this because his birthday is right in the middle of like the age range. But and it becomes on mandatory. On the, yeah.
0: Because I was thinking to myself as I was listening to you, hey, maybe we don't need the politicians. Maybe parents can can do this on their own. But no, a state lied, a state law, no doubt says on such and such, and at such and such an age, they got to be in school.
4: Well, there are waivers. I know a lot of people sign waivers to try to get their kids into school early. Hmm. So I don't uh-huh. know if you can sign them in to get that late too. But I know people do it to get their kids early.
0: Yeah. Good, good stuff. Renell. thank you for that. Good luck. I appreciate it. Alan, you are in Cypress, Texas. Your thoughts are what?
5: Uh, well, I'm, uh, I am come from a family of three brothers, myself being one, have three daughters and five grandsons. So I, I don't, I think it should be a, a parental uh, uh, decision, not uh, a government decision. And I, I'm just concerned about the socioeconomic impact that it would have on on a on a boy. It's like, gee, all my friends are going to school. All my girls that I know are going to school, and I'm not getting to go to school now in the first grade. Boys could care less about girls, but I, I just I think there's other issues going on here, and I think it's uh, parents are much hard, especially fathers if they're around, uh, and in a lot of times they're not. But if the if the if the parents are, are especially the fathers, they're tougher on the boys. They 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 start. I think they start with a disadvantage. Hmm. Um, so, I, I I don't. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, my I think my daughters would say, "Are you nuts? I'm, I want them to go to school when they right. need to go to school." Right. So anyway, maybe maybe
0: I I mean, maybe the answer is having some some latitude for parents. I don't want parents to all of a sudden now say, oh, I'm going to hold them back four years. I mean, there's always going to be somebody who'll push the envelope. Hey, Alan, by the way, kind of interesting if I understood what you said. You're one of three boys. So like generational, all boys, then daughters, then grandsons. I wonder if it if it kicks back and then goes to, you know, daughters thereafter.
5: Well, I'm uh, I don't know if uh, if I'll still be on the clock at that time Michael but <laughs> you and me so. both I but, hear you you know the, the other thing really quick is what what are those boys going to do with that idle time when when they're not in school at that age I mean there's a you know I think there's too many well, government programs okay for, but there, there
0: yeah yeah there there are some child care issues but then again you heard the statistic about uh, how many are are not employed with a high school degree, m- maybe better they be idle when they're five or six or whatever the age is than they're idle when they're 21. Alan, I got to run and I thank you for your telephone call. Barbara, Florida, greetings. What are you thinking?
6: Hey, Michael. Um, I have an interesting perspective because I um, was married to a head of a boys' school who's now retired. Oh. And I'm wondering, I would really be wondering what you and your guests would be thinking about single sex education, particularly for boys because there aren't any girls in the classroom. So I know that's a private school versus public school thing where there aren't any public single sex schools, but it's an interesting concept because in the boys school, the boys shine obviously, and they Mm -hmm. do very, very well and they go on to do very, very well. Barbara, he doesn't,
0: you raise a really good point. He, as far as I remember, I just read the book. Um, I don't think he addresses, you know, same sex education, at least not at length. But I think you raise a really good point. I can only tell you that when ours were younger and my wife and I uh, had a daughter then three sons and there's a big age difference between the daughter and the boys with regard to the boys we looked long and hard tc knows the school at a local private all-male institution so did we i was local private all-girls institution okay i was gonna say because emma could not have of course and i was enamored with the place of course and and frankly there was no room there was no room at the inn it would have necessitated like son number two getting in then they said they could take and it was just a hassle so we moved on but i think
6: it is like to get in. I'll also tell you that real quick with respect to the red shirting thing. Yeah. Um, at least in at least in New York City where, where we lived, the the mothers of the and parents of the girls are doing the exact same thing, not just the boys because when we moved there, our daughter was on the younger end. We just put her in the grade she was supposed to go to and she was over a year younger than so many of the girls in her class. We were mm, shocked.
0: Interesting interesting i i uh, thank you barbara <laughs> wish you all wish you all good things i i want to go back to the political point there's a problem okay the deaths of despair i really need to reduce this more to the numbers than i i do the the psychology of it a because i quickly get out of my depth and and b because it's just misleading deaths of despair are disproportionately impacting men economically men are at a disadvantage. I can totally understand if you were running for office and saying what I just said, you'd be excoriated, right? Feminist groups would, but, but you're not saying anything. He correctly, he correctly, uh, reframed my question when I said at the expense of boys, I said, you know, like girls are kicking butt. You go to a graduation ceremony at a middle school or high school level and you see like all the academic prizes are being won by girls and i said to the detriment of the men and he said no it's not a zero sum game it's not that that men are losing out because women are doing well or girls are everybody can do well but right now guys are at a disadvantage but my god you're going to get elected to office if you say and when i get there you know i want to talk about this disparity i don't i don't think you'd be able to advance that case thank god for Sirius XM's POTUS channel, where we can have this spirited and honest conversation.
1: Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS channel 124. Live
6: weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app.
1: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays.